Let the children of God say amen. amen. Let the children of God smile and say amen again. All praises, honor, and glory go to God the Father, his Son, Jesus the Christ, and lastly, the Holy Spirit who continually comforts us all. How blessed are we to enter a new year of 2018? Not because we are worthy, but because God is to be worshipped. I don't know about you, but my God is not only great, but he is greatly to be praised. Uh, whatever bound you in 2017 ought to now bless you in 2018. Whatever stressed you out in 2017 ought to set you free in 2018. Let this be a new year for you. Let this be a new start for you. And today, let this be a new worship for you. Worship is not just a place you go to, but worship ought to be an experience. You ought to feel like you have experienced something once you come into the house of the Lord. Kings Island makes a whole lot of money because they sell you on an experience. They don't want you to just come and one ride one roller coaster. They want you to have the entire experience. And once you pay $62.50, somebody ought to get the full experience. That's why you get there at 10 a.m. and you say to 10 p.m. But I'm here to tell somebody there is an experience in the house of the Lord and it won't cost you nothing, though it costs him everything. And since you want to get the full experience somebody ought to get to worship early and want to stay late God is a good God he's a great God and he can do anything but fail the Gray Road Church wants to thank Marvin and Antherica Lane specifically and their entire team for, for putting on an outstanding New Year's Eve celebration to bring us into this year. Well organized, well attended, and its fruit is still bearing in us even today. This year's theme, and we'll talk more about this today and especially on next week, is all in. All in. This is the year of commitment. It's time out for excuses. It's time out for lackadaisical thinking. It's time out for waiting for somebody else to do. Everyone under the sound of my voice needs to be in, and not just in, but all in. The theme for this month, the preaching theme, will be all in praise and worship. All in our praise and worship. Why are we talking about worship, Jeremy? Uh, because our witness about Jesus ought to be ever done in our worship of Jesus. Let me say it again. Somebody didn't like that. Our witness about Jesus ought to be ever done in our worship of Jesus. Write this down. Remember this. Facebook this. Tweet this. Whatever you want to do. Worship, the word, comes from the old English term which conveys worthship. Meaning when I come to God and give him worship, I'm actually valuing God's worth in my worship. So it's not just your worship, it's his worship. And by the worship that you author, how worth, what is God's worth in your life? When you come and sing dead, when you come late, 
when you, you roll your eyes during prayer, when you're Facebooking and not about the sermon during the sermon, what is God's worth in your, some of y'all don't like this already, say amen when you can. You like worship, Lord is talking about giving God the praise. You like that, but, but worship is worthship. What is God worth in your life? Meet me in the gospel according to Luke, chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. With tabernacle there in the 28th verse. Luke 19 verse number 28. When you find yourself there, join us in standing and giving honor to the word of God. Luke chapter 19 verse number 28. Now, church, I know what I, what I want to say, but I don't know what God wants to say. So work with me this morning. There's a lot in this text to unpack. I know all y'all want to jump to verse 39 and 40. But there's some things to unpack. Luke chapter 19, verse number 28. Here, Luke the physician records these very words. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a donkey's coat and or the coat of an ass, depending on your version. The donkey's coat will be tied there, and no one has ever written him. Untie him or loose him. Somebody underline loose him. And bring it here to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say the Lord and or his master needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners, notice the plurality, asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord and or his master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. It's a textual transition here from preparation to exaltation. Verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road when they drew near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd, underline, whole crowd of his disciples and or followers began to rejoice and or joyfully praise and or enthusiastically praise God in a loud voice. Why? For all the miracles all the mighty works that they had seen. Blessed is he who comes as king in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke and or quiet and or gain control of your disciples. Notice what Jesus said. I tell you, if 
they keep quiet. And or some versions say what grandmama used to say, if they hold their peace, then the stones or the rocks will cry out. If you have some time this morning, and yes, I'm going to take my time, I want to speak from the thought, the heart of worship. The heart of worship. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear really kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what has been, what is now, and what will be. As long as we keep our hand in your unchanging hand. Father, this time bless everyone under the sound of my voice. Father, help them to hear a word from you, even through your meager and menial servant. Father, bless your servant at this time. Father, put your anointing on me, the anointing that makes preaching easy. Father, consecrate me now for your work, Father, not because I am worthy, but because I am willing. Father, use the tablet of my heart and write down what you want your servant to say. Don't just speak to them, but speak to me and speak through me. Father, help us to worship you. Help us to magnify you. Help us to glorify you in this place. Father, bless the word. Father, bless your servant. Father, bless us all as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The heart of worship. Here we find ourselves in Luke's testimony concerning the coronation of Jesus the Christ as he has humanistically transformed and transported from manger to monarch. While Luke affords this text with scholarship, Luke's scholarship is lending a hand here as this moment of majesty has several scribes as its witness, making Jesus' triumphal entry narrative testified of both synoptic and non-synoptic quality. As this occurrence is recorded in every single gospel that's constrained within the holy canon. The synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke said that they saw and or heard of it. And even John's standalone gospel attest and give credence to the fact that Jesus, while still on earth, was recognized as king. The gospel writers paint Jesus as a king who reconciles his followers to a place of peace. A place of peace not of this world, but rather he reconciles man unto himself, utilizing the vehicle of his kingdom and his church. And the kingdom of God is one where its subjects are not forced, but rather its subjects are faithful. Luke's text, in addition to lifting up Jesus as our, as our sovereign and conquering king, also shows us the responsibility of us as kingdom subjects. And the responsibility of us as kingdom subjects is for us to worship, for us to magnify, and for us to praise our king. For this is the heart of worship. This is the epicenter 
of worship. We must magnify and glorify and praise our King. May I introduce to you this morning that there is no worship without praise. There is no worship without adoration. There is no worship without magnification. For we ought to live our lives and conduct our worship with the main objective of lifting Jesus up. Nothing else matters when we come together if we don't lift Jesus up. And this text gives us the first glimpse of what that really means. For while Jesus was worshipped even from the day that he was born, he has reserved the praise that he truly deserves from his followers until he, in fact, was ready to be king. But it was in this text, the moment that he was coronated king, the moment that he took his throne on the back of a coat of a donkey or on the ascent of an ass that he allowed and bathed in the praise of his people. So much so that he rebuked those who rebuked the volume of the praise of his people. Because Jesus understood what they understood and what some of us fail to understand. And that is the king of glory is worthy and deserving of all of our praise. Let me say it again. The king of glory is worthy and deserving of all of our praise. May I submit to somebody in the house this morning that you ought to put in work praising the Lord. When you come here, you ought to put forth an extra effort to let God know what his worth is in your life. Somebody ought to want to come to the church house and put in work when it comes to praising the Lord. You ought to be tired, not from what you get from worship, but what you gave in worship. Somebody ought to have the position that I will give God glory if for no other reason than because he's allowed me to outlive my story and the story is I should have been dead the story is I should have been pregnant the story is I should have been homeless the story is I should have been divorced but God stepped in my story somebody somebody in here needs to have the perpetuation of praise meaning I don't just praise God when my song is sung I don't just praise God when the sermon's about me but rather I praise God in advance and also regardless of my circumstance. Somebody needs to have the praise portfolio to say if I had 10,000 tongues, then I would praise him with every one. Just in case you didn't know on this morning, we come to this campus, we come to this facility, we don't come here for a fashion show or a social club. For if one wants a fashion show, they need to confer with Macy's if one wants a social club or a country club, they need to consult with Losantiville. But we come to this shell of brick and mortar to worship God and the heart of worship is magnifying and uplifting Jesus as our king. Praising him, praising him, 
praising him for who he is and what he has done as a platform and a promise to what God can and will do. Here we find ourselves in praise and worship. And before somebody says, well, this ain't on a Sunday. It is on a Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. Because six days later on quote unquote Easter Sunday, Jesus will rise from the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. If I had time for a commercial break, I would say this Sunday, they're going to worship. But next Sunday, they're going to have some church. But it would be on this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, that praise would commence as a conjunctive force with worship. That's why it's called praise and worship. See, conjunctions have a function as long as it's doing what you want it to do. Peanut butter and jelly. You understand that both of them are necessary. Batman and Robin. Starsky and Hutch. Jen, I wish I had somebody in here. Make sure you know the importance of a conjunction. Health and strength. Praise and what? You, have you met someone? They come to worship but they ain't got no praise. As long as they come together and be ritualistic, they're satisfied. They're sitting there merely counting down the acts of worship, but they have given God no thanks, given God no adoration, given God no magnification. Nobody's gotten up and said, God is worthy, God is good, God is great, God's a deliverer. Somebody, every time we come to church, ought to be talking about the goodness of God. Somebody, every time we come to church, ought to say, he is my king, and oh, I dearly love him. Somebody, every time we come to church, ought to say, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. To him is due all glory and honor and wisdom. And somebody ought to say those things. Notice that while Jerusalem was a place of worship, here we find before they get to Jerusalem that wherever the presence of Jesus is, praise and worship must then commence. Here we see God's people on what will soon be God's day, giving God worship, but not forgetting the aspect of praise. And it's here on the day of worship and before the person of worship that these followers of God and children of God exhibit the will of God, and that is to perform worship, but worship at its heart is praise. Knowing that contextually, those who fail to praise simultaneously fail to worship. And when it comes to my praise, God proposes that those who cannot relinquish praise, those who cannot relinquish what I require can be replaced. Those who cannot relinquish what I require can be replaced. Now, church, I don't know about you, but things change for me. 
when I come into the presence of the Lord. And if things don't change for you, then it's time for us at the grave to change the way that we think about praise and worship. I know you want to get your shout on, uh, but there's some teaching that must come first. I, I know you want me to preach a little while, but there's some teaching that must come first. We have to change the way that we think about praise and worship. Because for far too long, we've listened to what other folks said about worship, but nobody's listened to what Jesus has said about worship. We've listened to Presbyterianistic thought processes that when we come to church, the only way to show awe and reverence is to be silent. We've listened to our lighter complected brethren who said that culture has no place in worship and that in order to be reverent, we must be silent. But I'm not worried about what they say, I'm worried about what Jesus says. I believe it was David who said in the 122nd installation of Psalm, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. For David recognized long before the incarnate Christ that there is something awe-inspiring that ought to happen when one is before the Lord. I don't know about you, and I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this in 2018 because somebody needs to have a praise for themselves. No one should have to broach you and beg you to worship. No one should have to pump you and prime you to praise. For when I come to worship, I don't know about you, but when I come to worship, I see the king raised high and mighty. I see my redeemer. I see my bridge over troubled water. I see my great physician. And it's because I know who he is both corporately and personally that I want to sing as loud as I can and pray as fervently as I can and commune as reverently as I can and receive the word as humbly as I can and give as liberally as I can because I know his worth and my God is not only great but he is greatly to be praised I know y'all wait for me to get to my text I'll be there when I get there Notice here in this text, this audience is shouting and praising because the Lord is before them, if not only temporarily. But what is our worship response? Where's our praise today as we are now before God? Not temporarily, but eternally. Somebody in here needs to know that when we come here, we are before the mighty presence of the Lord. When I come here and I congregate in this auditorium, these pews fade from view. When I come here in the presence of the Lord, this room fades from view. When I come here in the presence of the Lord, Dr. Flowers fades from view. And even you sitting next to me, you also fade from view. But what about my worship? I'm sorry, honey. I can't focus on you because I'm in the presence of the Lord. I am his and he is mine. I know you get distracted easily, but I need to focus on communing with him. I need to hear a word from him. And before I leave this place, I need to be at peace with him. So my question, great road to you on this morning, is have you come to worship? 
worship? Are you ready to give God praise? Are you ready to give God honor? And are you ready to sit in the glory of the almighty God? Verse number 28. There's so much in this text. Verse 28. After. Some of y'all don't like this. It's all right. I love you anyway. It's, it's in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book. Well, we, this is how we've always done it. Is that how Jesus said do it? Verse 28, after Jesus had said this. The text alludes to after Jesus added Zacchaeus to the kingdom of God, proving that it's coming in contact with Jesus. That makes the difference between a sinner and a saint. I'm going to preach that in February. It was after Jesus had brought forth the parable of the ten minas where he emphasizes growing in your gifts. That now he is leaving on a journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Notice from this point, Jesus will consistently go up. He's going to go up 17 miles now to his final destination to then go up not only to Jerusalem, but he will go up to Golgotha. He will go up on a cross, and soon he will go up back into heaven. If I had time for a preaching point, I would tell somebody, next time you find yourself being down, just remember that Christ went up. Next time you fall down, just remember you don't have to stay down because Jesus went up. Where did Jesus go, Jeremy? He went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem linguistically means or communicates a city of peace. More roughly, it means set ye at double peace. If I had time on my way to verse 40, I would tell someone that Jesus was going to peace, Jerusalem, though it would cause him pain, crucifixion, but he knew that our peace meant his pain. For without him, we would not have peace with God. Because it's only by the blood of Christ that we are redeemed and righteous and have hope of eternal salvation. Now the question for someone this morning is, have you come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ, which happens simultaneously when you go down in the watery grave of baptism? Why you keep talking about baptism? Why you keep putting it in all these sermons? Because I need somebody to know before you get to shouting about Jesus that without baptism, there is no blood, and without blood, there is no righteousness or eternal salvation salvation. Let me move on. Jerusalem for Jesus meant that he would be in a place where he would soon become a victim of injustice. Where he would soon see corruption in Pilate's kangaroo court and then be sentenced to the cross where he would expire. But before he was to expire, Jesus by his sheer presence chose to inspire. But notice that this is happening right now in Jerusalem it's not by happenstance but by providence can I teach you something before I preach you something can I teach you something before I preach you something all of this happening right now in Jerusalem was by God's providence understand he's going to Jerusalem Jerusalem is God's city what better place for God to reconcile man back to God 
than in a city of God through God's son. What better place for Jesus to be sacrificed as the lamb for sinners slain than that holy city where sacrifices were to be slain? And also it was God's plan for this to happen, not just in this city, but at this time. It had to happen during the Passover. Specifically, it had to happen on a Friday. Prophecy places the Messiah's disconnect from the world as AD 30. Therefore, this is right on time. Prophecy depicts that he must die during the Passover because the blood of the lamb must be shed during the Passover to delineate God's chosen people. And not only must Jesus die in AD 30 in Jerusalem during the Passover, but he also must die on a Friday because that's the day that the lamb was to be killed in relation to the Passover. And Jesus is the lamb whose blood is to be shed for sinners slain during the Passover in Jerusalem in AD 30 and it had to happen the same day that the real lamb would be slaughtered therefore it had to happen on a Friday him dying on a Friday is more than just preacher rhetoric when we say he went down on Friday and he slept all day Saturday and he rose early early Sunday morning this was God's design so it was while Jesus was in the right place so that we could be righteous that he was to be coronated as king, but not a king over forced subjects, but rather king over faithful subjects. For Christ has dominion over whosoever will come to him. Kingdom, prefix king, suffix dom. Kingdom means wherever the king has dominion. Because sometimes, and, and with good reason, we interrelate the kingdom and the church. But can I tell you something? There are some folk who are baptized and added to the church, but the king does not have dominion in their life. Everybody in the church don't operate in the kingdom. But everybody in the kingdom has place in the church. Okay, I wish I had somebody in here. The kingdom that Christ is bringing takes everybody. His kingdom has no lines of latitude and longitude. It has no borders. It has no ending of jurisdiction. And all of us who become a part of this kingdom, we're immigrants. But our path to citizenship is the same. And the path to citizenship and the kingdom of God is believing that he is. And belief is more than assent and acknowledgement. But this belief talks about surrender and submission and obedience that results in you participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is baptism. Now, meaning all men can come into Christ. All men can come into his kingdom. All men can come into his church. But they must do it before it's everlastingly too late. Because one day, the borders to Christ's kingdom will be closed. There'll be no gate or fence to jump over. There'll be no bridge to cross. But there will be a lake of fire to suffer in. Verse 29. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two 
of his disciples. Underline that. Saying to them, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find the coat of an ass and or a donkey's coat. He will be tied there. What's special about this coat, Jesus? Nobody has ever written it. Now, I told you earlier, this narrative is in every single gospel, specifically the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Notice Luke chooses to tell you only about the coat. But Matthew says, not only was it the coat, but they took the coat and its mama. That's why Jesus sent two servants, because he had to get two donkeys. But only one is going to hold the Savior. How do you know that Matthew was correct, Jeremy? Because it's not new information. Zechariah the prophet said in Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9, rejoice greatly. Daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, why? See that your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly. How is he going to come? How are we going to recognize him? He'll come riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. But what's specific? No one has ever ridden this donkey. The donkey, for this purpose, was new and not broken in. Child of God, look at the narrative. The fresh narrative of Jesus. Jesus, the son of man, came from a new womb. Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. That's why Mary had to be a virgin. Not only did he come from a new womb, but here he's riding a new donkey on the way to a new tomb, all of which is necessary to make me a new man. So here Jesus is about to embark upon a donkey and now the sun is about to be placed on a sun. Somebody missed your shout there. When you go get this donkey, I want you to do what? I want you to untie it, and I want you to loose it, and bring it here to me. This ain't in my sermon, but it's, it, it's in my spirit. Jesus couldn't use the coat until it was untied. There's somebody in the house this morning that Jesus wants to use, but he can't use you until you're untied and you're loose from whatever has you bound. Notice the donkey or the coat of an ass didn't buck him. That should have been its nature because he's never been trained for a rider. But this coat Submitted to Jesus at what's supposed to be honoring a coat of a donkey. If an honoring coat can submit to Jesus, then we in our ignorance and arrogance have no excuse. Just like this donkey, he untied you and I, he freed you and I for freedom but the only freedom that you and I have in Christ is under the ridership of Jesus 
For it's through Jesus Christ that even though I'm arrogant, even though I'm wildly, even though I'm honoring, even though I'm selfish, even though I'm used to going my own way, Jesus should be able to get on my back in this new year. Jesus should be able to untie me. Jesus should be able to loose me. Jesus should be able to have control of me. And just like that donkey, I have the ability to submit to him. And when I submit to Jesus, it's the same as this donkey coat submitting to Jesus because as soon as Jesus became his owner, the donkey knew to trust Jesus for food, trust Jesus for water, trust Jesus for shelter. Wherever Jesus steers, that's where I'll follow. Wherever he leads, that's where I'll go. Get the donkey and bring it here. If anyone asks you while you're untying it, Tell them the Lord needs it. I will not only provide the blessing, I'll also provide the naysayers. I'll provide those in your life who will say, why do you need it? But not only will I provide the blessing and the naysayers, I'll also provide the solution. Because the solution to every problem is the Lord's needs. The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the cult, its owners, plural, if I had time to tell you, uh, this actually depicts a visual of poverty. Because some would say, well, maybe it's a husband and wife, but women don't own anything in this time of antiquity. Uh, they are property themselves, which means the plurality of owners uh, symbolizes possible multiple males. I wish I had somebody. And it's, it's a whole situation of poverty, Deacon Brayton, when you got to get with somebody else to own a mule. Say amen when you can. If you can't own a donkey by yourself, uh, we're looking at poverty and sharecroppers. Brother Barry know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, we're looking at sharecropping. Uh, the owner said, hold on, wait a minute, that belongs to us. Uh, where are you going with that? And the disciples say, well, the Lord needs it. And they let it go. Verse 35. Now, now we have some teaching. Let's do some preaching. Verse 35. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the coat. And then they what? Put Jesus on Jesus never had to saddle the donkey. Why? Because now preparation is finished. The rest of this text is exaltation. Why did Jesus do all of this anyway? Because he was showing the kingdom that he would lead. It started with him dealing with Zacchaeus and making a sinner a saint. Because of one's repentance. The text then goes to talking about making God's gifts greater while he is away. Then he says, go get a donkey. Why you want me to go get a donkey? Because I'm about to become king. Well, Jesus, hold on, wait a minute. If you're going to become king, shouldn't you be riding a horse? No, I never said I wanted a horse. Go get me a donkey. You must have not read Zechariah. Zechariah said, I'm coming to Jerusalem on a donkey. And I want you now to get a donkey. I want you to get a baby boy donkey. 
Because it's going to be a baby boy who brings me into prominence knowing that my prominence started with me being a baby boy. They brought it to Jesus. They threw cloaks on it. Why? Because from this point forward, they're going to view him as royalty. So they do what kings deserve. And when kings are coronated, oftentimes, as we see in 2 Kings chapter 19 with Jehu, they would, they would enrobe the riding vessel with cloaks and they would spread things in front of it, i.e. palm branches, that's what John says, and or their cloaks, that's what Luke and Matthew say, and they put it in front of Jesus so that Jesus has a carpeted ride. Jesus is not going to touch the ground again. Because the people are going to put all that they have before him. So when I recognize that he is my king, I ought to put all before him. Okay, uh, kingdoms of antiquity, they would have what we know as thrones in a castle or a palace. Thrones would be purposefully hired than the floor around it because the thought was whenever subjects come to visit the king that they will always be standing or sitting at the king's feet. Jesus says, all right, go get the donkey. Why? Because that's going to be my throne. The donkey's going to be your throne? Yes. And wherever my throne is, I want you to be at my feet. So therefore, they take off what they have, they put all that they have, and they put it before the king at his very feet. If I were to translate this into worship, I would say, when we come here and we recognize God as king, we ought to put everything that we have before the feet of Jesus. Why we got to sing so long? Why the sermons are we here for two and a half hours? So what? Put it at his feet. Change your attitude. This ain't in my notes, but it feels good right here. Uh, don't just praise God in worship. Praise God for the whole worship. It's bad enough somebody came late. Then you got the audacity to leave early. Can I tell you something I observed, Sister Heron? Folk love to sing before the sermon, but after the sermon, the singing falls off. I don't know why folk get tired after the sermon. You would think they preach. Say amen when you can. They don't want to sing no more. It's quiet in here. Put everything that you have at my feet. Well, Jesus, hold on, wait a minute. Why are you getting on a donkey? I'll tell you why. Kings ride horses when they're coming for war. Kings occasionally rode donkeys when they were coming in peace. Put me on my throne. Put me on a donkey. Why? Because I come in peace to build a kingdom of peace to bring people to the peace of God which comes through me and my shed blood and when man submits to God and believes in God and is obedient to God then they are at peace with God ooh if I had time to tell somebody somebody in here this morning is not at peace with God because you have not obeyed because you have not submitted because you don't continue in obedience ooh if I had time to tell somebody have you ever been in sin I mean really in sin you done done something dirty. I mean really dirty. 
Go ahead and nod your head. Say amen when you can. Uh, young and old, go ahead and nod your head. Male and female, go ahead and nod your head. It's okay. It's okay. I don't, well, I don't want to nod my head. Dr. Fly looking at me. Go ahead and nod your head. You ever done something real dirty and then you felt shame coming to church? Why are you so shame coming? To, well, I can't take communion. Why can't you take communion? Because you know my just ain't right. Why ain't you right? Because you know that you ain't at peace with God. You know that if you died right now, you're not at peace with God. God's Christ said, I'm dying on a cross to shed blood so that man can come to peace. In my kingdom, there is peace. Through their cloaks on the cult, they put Jesus on it. Verse number 36, Travis. Let, let me close this thing as folk clock watching me. Verse 36, as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. Why? Because he is royalty. He is royalty. I ought to be able to disrobe myself when I'm in the presence of God. <laughs> I, I, I ought to be able to disrobe myself. When we come to worship, it's a time of authenticity and transparency. You ain't got to come here fake. You do that at work. But when I come before the presence of God, he know who I is. Well, if I do that, then everybody else at church, I don't care about them. They spread their cloaks. They, they, they disrobe themselves in the presence of God. Verse number 37. Verse number 37 the text says, when they came near to the place where the road comes down to the Mount of Olives, the what? Whole crowd. The whole crowd of disciples. When they come near the place where the road goes down, why is it so significant? Because they're drawing nigh to Jerusalem. Why is that important? Because from where they are right now in verse number 37, they can see a glimpse of Jerusalem. And the glimpse of Jerusalem is enough reason to praise God. Can I tell you something, child of God? You don't have to wait for the whole fulfillment of a thing to praise God for a thing. Even from the onset, as soon as you see something, you ought to praise for everything. They were coming down the Mount of Olives. Their view was still obstructed of the full Jerusalem, but they knew just having a glimpse of Jerusalem was enough to praise God for. There's something in your life right now that's slightly obstructed, and you're waiting to give God the credit and give God the glory and give God the praise because you ain't quite there yet, honey child, sister girl, and brother man. You better praise him in advance just by the glimpse of what he showed you. He showed you that you are on the way. Give God what he deserves. The whole crowd. Well, I hear what you're saying, flowers. But this whole praise stuff, that's new stuff to me. That, that's what these young folk want to do. Praise ain't no new thing. And can I tell you something? Praise was yours. Until you let somebody rob it from you. It was yours. But there was some 
obstructed teaching that happens somewhere in your Christian development. Not wrong teaching, but obstructed teaching. That said, it don't call for all of that. This text just proves it. That says, why you got to be so loud? This text just proves it. That says, well, you know, they did all that celebrating, but that wasn't on Sunday. This text just proves that. That says, well, you young folk do what you're going to do, but I was raised in a different time. This text just proves that. The whole crowd. Everybody. Begin to what? Joyfully. There's something about joy. It doesn't say happily. Because happily would be emotional. That means I only praise God when I'm happy. But joy is that constant thing in my life that happens when I'm happy or sad or glad or mad. Joy means that. Joy says this is what sustains me at all times. I'm going to praise God from that place. If I have nothing to be happy about, somebody will be happy just to be alive. And for that reason, I'm going to praise God. Who? The young and the old. The whole crowd of disciples. They joyfully did what? They praised God. Well, I don't like the word praise. Praise. Simple. Thanks and gratitude. I say something else because I'm already in trouble. If these folk can be thankful and gratuitous, if these folk can praise God before the cross, then why do we have trouble praising God after the cross? They praise God. How they do it? They praise God in Let's try it again because some of y'all missed the point in the last 38 minutes. <laughs> to praise God in Oh, that's almost where I want it to be. To praise God in what? That's how loud it should be when we sing it in this church. That's how loud it should be when you receive the word in this church. Now, let me tell you something. Loud voices was their expression. Loud voices is not everybody's expression. But everybody in here has an expression of praise. And you better find it. Because God has been too good. For somebody, you ever just sat and had silent tears? That's your praise. You ever nod your head like it's about to fall off? That's your praise. You ever point your finger? That's your praise. And and I'm not going to crucify you for crying. I'm not going to crucify you for nodding. I'm not going to crucify you for pointing. I'm not going to crucify you for patting your feet. So why in the world do you have a problem with my expression, but don't nobody say nothing about your expression? 
But there is a biblical expression where somebody in the text came in the presence of God on a Sunday and they said loud voices. It don't take all that. Why y'all acting like that? For all the miracles that they had seen. Miracles here, very simply, because time is waning, uh, means special works or mighty works. See, we spend so much time fighting over stuff that don't really matter. I tell you, God has done a miracle in my life. We don't believe in miracles. No, you don't believe in miracles. No, don't put that on me. I've seen God act in a special way. I've seen God act in a mighty way when before there was no way. And if you don't believe me, ask Chase Bank every month when I have more money than I have more. If you don't believe me, ask me about when I went in the hospital and they said there was no way you're ever getting out or ever getting better and I'll show you that God still works miracles. If you don't believe me, tell me that when you said the baby inside me would die but now it's living and it's thriving, you tell me it ain't no miracle. You tell me when I should have been divorced 20 years ago but we're still married and things got better that miracles don't exist. You tell me when I used to be a thug and used to be a gambler and used to be a drinker and used to be a whore. That, that wasn't in my notes, but it felt good right there. You, you, you run that back on three seconds delay for Bishop Barry. Say amen when you can. <laughs> you didn't hear that last four seconds. Now, you tell me. When I was doing all that, that now I can't be this. And I'll tell you that God is a miraculous God. And that's why I come here and joyfully praise him in loud voices. And I'm sorry, it's not you, but it was everybody in the text. So I just feel like I have to get in where I fit in. I know the miracles and not just miracles that I heard about. These are miracles that I have seen. They have been verified. Now, contextually, contextually, contextually. There's some of these people who have seen Jesus do things. They saw him heal Bartimaeus. They saw him bring Lazarus back from the dead. But I'm going to tell you, I've seen Jesus bring things back in my life from the dead. I don't know why you praise him, but I know why I praise him. Verse 38, let's end this thing. Verse 38, Travis. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, before somebody try to take this out of context, praise is part of worship. But nowhere in this text was there out of order praise or unorganized praise. Well, that means, Doc, you say I can jump up and run around the building seven times. That's not what this text says. These people praise God from where they've been. But they all magnify the same thing. Even here, they're doing it in unity. They're saying what? Blessed is the king. I like what Matthew does with this text. 
And what Luke or Mark does with the saying, they say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means glory. Glory, glory. Blessed is the king. We now recognize him as king. We've been waiting for him to finally say he was king. We've been following him all this time. Remember after he fed the 5,000, they wanted to take him by force and make him king. Jesus said, no, it ain't my time yet. He's finally saying, you know what? You've been worshiping me from the manger. But now I'm allowed praise to happen. You can now praise me because I'm ready to become your king. Why are you praising God? Because he's my king. I follow him. I love him. There ought to be something special. I promise you I'm almost done. There ought to be something special when you come before the presence of the king. If you come before the presence, if you're invited one day to go to Pennsylvania Avenue and go to the White House, I know some of y'all don't like the occupant. But there's a certain thing you do when the president walks in the door. People stand up. They play a certain anthem. As much as you may not like the occupant, if you go, you will stand. And if you don't like him, you respect the what? Office. You say, hello, Mr. President. I don't call him that. Then don't go. But if you go, you're going to call him Mr. President. Go ask Omarosa. Say amen when you can. They'll, they'll, they'll throw you out of there. Bad preacher. In foreign countries where they have monarchs, they all respect the monarch. They have pictures on their wall of whoever is king. Don't nobody talk bad about the king. Why? Because in foreign countries, they understand that whatever they have, it's only because of the king of their country. They understand that their well-being is tied into his well-being. They understand that he has done marvelous things for them in their country, and they'll serve him until he dies. And not only will they serve him until he dies, but whoever his son is, they'll serve him too. I'm here to tell you that Jesus ought to be the king of your life. And he ought to be the king because we understand that everything that we have that's good, it's come from him. Therefore, I'm going to serve him to the day he dies, but the thing is, he ain't going to die. The king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I do that tonight. Verse 39. In verse 39, this is what y'all want me to get anyway. Say amen when you can. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd and church, they in every crowd. They in every crowd. People who, who know religion but don't live religion. People don't, who have an understanding but don't have an understanding. They said, Jesus, teacher, master, depending on your version, rebuke and or quiet and or control your disciples. Get a handle on these folks. Now, the real contextual value is here. Number one, we don't want you doing all that shouting because we don't even believe you are the Messiah. Number two, contextually, we don't want you doing all that shouting because the Romans don't like either one of us. And if they think you are a threat, they're going to kill us all. Contextual value. Now, practical value for January 2018. There are Pharisees in the crowd who said, 
rebuke them. Get control of yourself. Stop all that. For those who may have a pharisaical mentality toward praise and worship number one, I love you. But I'm going to tell you this. You're only going to be pharisaical until God has done something in your life and then you understand the value of praise. Some of y'all can only keep your mouth until you lose your mind. When God has taken you there and then brought you back, you'll see something come out of you that you ain't never seen before. When you thought you were pretty and perfect and your children did everything under the sun and took you to the brink and brought you back, now you're coming here, we're looking at you crazy. When you've had that health scare or that car accident or that marital situation or that financial situation and God has brought you there but he's also brought you back. Verse, say, be quiet. Control these folks. Rebuke them. Verse 40, and I promise you we're done. Verse 40, Travis says, I tell you, he replied. I tell you. Tell them to be quiet. I ain't doing that. I'm going to tell you something else. Can I ask a question? You might not like this, but it's, it's, it's in the text. If he can't keep them quiet, then who are you to keep them quiet? Now, I'm not talking about a disorganized atmosphere where folk do all kind of crazy things. Because I've told you before and I tell you again, the Holy Spirit does not make you act up. Well, you know, I, I, I got to give God praise. I got to run around here. I got to foam at the mouth and roll on the floor. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit don't make you act up. It makes you act right. But when my people are giving me praise from the deliverance, when they're calling me king, they're worshiping me as Lord, they're adoring me, they're magnifying me, I can't keep them quiet, and if they had the audacity to dare be quiet, I would replace them and make the stones cry out. And I ain't done nothing for the stones, but I've done everything for you. Cry here actually comes from the Greek word scream. I can make what I haven't done nothing for Scream. All they do is exist. But I animate life in you. I give you breath for the whole purpose of worshiping me, praising me, and magnifying me. Don't you know and I'll close that we were created for no other purpose than to worship God. Yeah, you might be an accountant, but you were created to worship. I created you to give me glory. But you're so busy with every other objective that you forgot your first objective. You are my instrument. What are you trying to do, Jeremy? Change the way that we think. How do you do that? By teaching. Well, I don't like that. I understand. I understand preference. I understand tradition. I understand we ain't never done it this way before. I understand all that. And what's not comfortable to you 
You can't use that and make somebody else uncomfortable. The atmosphere of praise and worship ought to be one of jubilation. Because even the things that are dead, have, God can give them the ability to be alive. But we who are alive should not, in fact, be dead. Praise is the heart of worship. And worship don't end until the last song is sung. Yeah. You know, you know, Doctor, I get on out of here for this, this collection tray come. Worship ain't done. Yeah. Well, you know, he don't get to poop until 11. I get there about 10, 55. Worship had begun. Yeah. It's quiet in here. So, so, so what's the call to action? I'm done, I'm done. The call to action is, number one, understand the appropriate atmosphere of worship. Understand what God calls for in worship. Understand the need to praise because as you've been given, you should also be thankful. Uh, the call to action is uh, understand that we praise God in an organized way, yes, but we ought to praise God in an affectionate way and we ought to express in some kind of way. Now, all of us don't express the same, but there's an expression that God deserves. Lastly, for one who is not the child of God, understand that all of this happened as a part of God's kingdom of peace. Christ came to bring us to peace with God. How does that happen? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I want some of that blood. You get it in the water of baptism. Why? Is it important? You got to be baptized, come in contact with the blood, become a new creature in Christ Jesus. So now God can make you righteous. Why is this important? Because when I become a new man, now I'm at peace with God. And when God sees me, he don't, he don't see Carol Heron anymore, but he sees his son. And without that blood covering, if all he sees is me, I'll be destroyed. But I'm so glad that when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. And I'm so glad that God has brought peace through his son who adds me to his church and just because I'm in the church or in the building or on the road I must then give myself over to God submit to the dominion of God so I can be in the kingdom of God because this is the only kingdom and the only church that will bring us peace yeah. let's be standing but not sitting I know I gave y'all a whole hour today and can I tell you something that ought not be enough. That ought not be enough. I want some more of that. Why? Because that's what I come here for. Why would she hear 